human beings of the world, it's time to enter the spoilerverse through our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on scpod.net. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of the Spoilerverse and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kendrick and that is Mr. Horsley. Hello, and guys. today on the show, well, goddamn, we got his highness, the exalted one. The exalted. The man of a thousand stories. The man of a thousand shows. J. Michael Straczynski. Yeah, creator of Babylon 5, creator of Rising Stars, creator of Insert Cool Thing Here, and he's done Right? He's done a ton of shit, and he's funny because he's very uh, sarcastic. I got to say, Kenrick, he's one of the two people on the show that has been able to get you. Yeah. get you off guard. Right. It gets me off my guard, which is fine. (laughs) And then I start, like, looking at my notes because... Uh, people might not realize this. When we first started, I did not do any notes. I just talked to people. And and some of them were really good. Some of them were fixed by editing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know? And and that's just the truth of it. Uh, I, I've learned to go back and, and read about people. I'll listen. I'll literally listen to 10. If there's somebody who has a lot of interviews, I'll listen to 10, 12, 20 interviews. Yeah. And take notes of the things they're doing. Um, and then I'll go through all of their IMDb, obviously I'll even go through Wikipedia, even though I don't trust Wikipedia because, uh, you just don't know, you know, cause people are editing. It's, it's, it's and, a good and base. It's a good, it's base. a good base yeah. to launch off of, but you can't, you don't want to take any, I don't think you want to take actual facts anyways. Right. The right. whole point of this is that I had all these notes written up on J. Michael Straczynski. I thought the interview was the next day. <laughs> so I thought I had 24 hours more for to pre, to prepare, uh, which right. is fine because I I tend to do I don't I, I usually don't do it the day of I mean it happens uh, based on schedule and everything else sometimes it'll, it'll be like the day of and I'm scrambling but most of the time I I I, I do it days before this is why you won't hear me do interviews as much as I used to because I want time to prepare right right and so when he started talking. He fucks with you. He likes yeah. to push people's buttons a little bit, um, which is hilarious <laughs> because that's how I was raised. And, and if you ever know Johnny personally, just ask him how much I fuck with him. And, you know, and the matter he gets, the more I want to push I the mean, button. Let's just say it's a good thing we have a podcast. So I have a reason to like you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm we started kidding, talking with, with, with J. Michael Straczynski, uh, he started messing with me, you know, but he did. <laughs> right, he does right say, hey, too. yeah, if I can't mess with you, then this isn't going to go very well. And I said, no, no, please <laughs> mess around. Now that I know that you're a joker, then it's, you know, it's more than okay. But it did mess me up. Only him and the other guy is Ben Templesmith, which I don't know why Ben Templesmith just totally makes me stumble over everything. And yeah. I've, we've had him on like three times. Every time, though. Every time. And every time he gets me. And I don't know what it is. It's kind of funny. But that's okay. Because I think this interview actually ended up being really, really well done. Um, we went yeah, for over a, an hour. It's a solid interview. It's, it's great. Yeah. And, you know, he had a lot of fun time. And hopefully when the resistance comes out from AWA, the new, um, well, I guess they're not, they're pretty new. Comic well, book. the resistance comes out in two days from the yeah, release of the comes out in so two You're days. hearing this yes. on Monday the 16th. It comes out on Wednesday the 18th. Yeah. So that is very cool and he's creating a whole new shared universe which is going to be awesome because this guy knows what he's doing when it comes to building stories he knows what he's doing 
Yeah, for sure. You know, so I'm excited for that. And we have preliminary agreements. You'll hear it on the podcast, I, I do believe, unless John right. edited it out, but I'm going to tell you. He's agreed to come back. I in. Great. He's agreed to come back for the resistance. And on the very first episode or the first issue, we're going to do a page by page commentary track on that book with J. Michael Straczynski, which is fabulous. Schedule is persisting. If we can get it scheduled out, it's going to happen and it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Because this one, this guy just knows how to fucking write. You know what I mean? He knows how to build a story and he's done it over and over and over again. And I love his whole thing is he feel he hopes that he gets better with every stuff. And he feels like all this stuff from the eighties and nineties is crap. He literally says that. Yeah. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited too. Let's take a listen now. Let's hear him in his own words. I don't know if anybody's aware, but today is International Irish Whiskey Day. So it's good to know. Drink it if you got it. It's good to know. All right, guys. Thanks for coming back today. It's super special. Um, We have somebody on that I guarantee you have watched a cartoon he has written, a show he has written, and probably a comic book he has written. He has a new book that's been out for, I want to say, almost a year called Becoming Superman, which is all about his childhood and coming into how he get into writing and all the stuff that he does nowadays. It looks fantastic, so I can't wait to actually read it myself. Joe Straczynski, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, and I'm I'm, I'm shocked you haven't actually read the book yet. I have I, not. I'm, I'm sorry, I have to go somewhere else. This is <laughs> I, I can't work under these conditions. Well, it's been, it's been nice talking with you. Well, I guess... I guess I did. I blew a lot of hot air at the beginning of this because that is yeah. done. <laughs> I mean, you talked a big game, but uh, you know, if you, you would have read the book, it probably would have lasted a lot longer. Cricket, cricket, cricket. Thank you for coming on, though. It's really, really nice of you. Sure, you're welcome. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, you kind of have this. I don't know. It's kind of you. Kind of have a little bit of a mythos going on around you because of all the stuff you've done in literature and TV and movies. I don't even really know where to begin. So I thought maybe we just start with becoming Superman, because I think that's your latest book that you have out right now. Uh, correct. Becoming Superman came out in uh, July of um, this past year. Uh, as far as new stuff coming up, we can get into more later on. I'm also working with uh, AWA, a new comic company created by the guys who ran Marvel Comics for many years. Oh, nice. Uh, launching a whole new universe for those guys. So b- between those two, I stand now. Awesome. So it's all about your your childhood and what you went through to get to where you are today. And when you read the synopsis, it sounds like you went through some harrowing stuff. Why did you pick Becoming Superman? Is how, what does Superman mean to you? Growing up as a kid, um, as opposed to, I guess, growing up as an adult, which is much harder, yeah. <laughs> um, I I did not have the best of all possible circumstances. Many do not, but these were rather extraordinary. We moved every six months. Uh, my first 17, 18 years, we moved 21 times from oh Jersey God. to California, Texas to Illinois. My father was a raging alcoholic and violent and abusive and uh, I grew up in a family minus any kind of moral compass whatsoever. Yeah. And for me, living in that kind of environment where there was you know, random violence and just terrible stuff, the idea of someone who never hit anyone who didn't hit him first, uh, someone who had a moral center, someone who could do anything he wanted to do and set his mind to do, was a very potent uh, image. Of, and for me, that was Superman. Uh, so at, at an early age, I decided that I would try and at least model my values to some extent. And I'm not alone in that. Uh, a lot of folks who are comics fans identify with a particular character and say, I want to be like that when I grow up, um, which is why I think a lot of people like Batman and not Robin so much. Because when you're a kid, you think, you know, I can someday grow up to become Batman. But Robin can do all this stuff now that I can't do. So screw him. <laughs> I have a chance to become Batman. Someday. Right. 
I, I, when I when I think back in my childhood and the trials and tribulations that I went through, and then I, I meet people that uh, I, I consider myself lucky. You know, I didn't have I didn't have those issues. So when I meet somebody that, that overcomes all that, and then bec- because we, it, what's the word I'm looking for? It's always seems uh, it's very inspiring in a lot of ways. We kind of had the wayward house where all the wayward people would come. You know, my mom used to always say, mm-hmm. Kenrick, you always bring me home strays. And my sisters would bring home stray dogs. I would bring home stray people. And and that's because I never understood the people that came from these homes that were similar to yours. You know, I don't know if I knew anybody that was to the extremes that you were talking about. But not having that family value set from the beginning and then finding a character like Superman to give you that moral compass, that you know, that's a kind of a big deal. And then now you're writing, you know, you've written this book that I, I, I wanted to tell you from the, I mean, I could have lied and said, oh yeah, I totally read it. Da, 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 da. But then that, you know, that's disingenuous. But reading the synopsis and when Jeff said, hey, Trzinski's decided to, you know, agreed to come on, I was excited because I knew your work from Babylon 5. I read Rising Stars and I knew a couple years ago, Rising Stars was optioned for a TV show. Uh, I was excited. Hopefully that still is in fruition and that might happen. Um, that would be great. Is anything going on with Rising Stars? It's currently under option by MGM for a feature. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And and please do not take my complaining seriously. If you take me seriously, I can't play with you. No, 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 no. Please fuck with me as much as you possibly can. Uh, I am the youngest of four. And in our family, if you can't handle getting teased or fucked with, you're not going to last. Ask Johnny. He's married to my niece, and that oh, guy gets yeah. teased incessantly. <laughs> Nonstop. Not from both of them. It's all the time. <laughs> yeah, don't. don't. It's good to know. Yeah, please. Have fun. Play. And, and yeah, for me, it, what it came down to, again, for Superman, that's someone who always was big on personal responsibility. And in, and in my family, no one ever took responsibility for anything. Yeah. There was always someone to blame. This is how I was raised. This is how I was brought up. This is what I went through. And therefore that, that entitles me to be a jerk. Right. And even at an early age, I perceived that definition by victimhood serves no good purpose. And so I was like 13 years old when I realized, you know, I don't want to go that way. So I, I I made a list. My, My dad was like the sampler platter of evil. He was a racist, a misogynist, um, a uh, terrible dresser, um, <laughs> uh, uh, violent, abusive. So I would just, I made a list and I decided I will negate hit what he brings into the world. So he was a smoker. I wouldn't smoke. He was a drinker. I wouldn't drink. He was a misogynist. I wouldn't think I made this list of negative attributes. And wow. had he been a better person, I would have been a worse one. And that all comes down to the Superman notion of, of taking responsibility. I knew I didn't want to have children as I got older. Yeah. And I thought, well, again, I have to take responsibility for that. So on my 23rd birthday, I walked in, got a vasectomy. I said, let's just, you know, take responsibility for your choices. And I think that personal responsibility really goes a long way toward uh, mitigating or outweighing our tendency to blame others for our own actions. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I, he went and got it. <laughs> like, I'm the exact opposite. I don't have, I have one kid, but she's not biologically mine. And uh, mm-hmm. I felt lucky when she came into my life because uh, I've been there since the minute she was born. And I've always just felt that's my kid. And now I, I'm, I'm hopefully knock on wood, everything works out and uh, the adoption goes through and everything's good. And she becomes mine legally and fully, you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting that you took that different approach. You knew right away. You're like, Hey, I'm, I'm, this isn't for me. So you went and got the, did you say at 30? 23. 23. Wow. And you never, and, and you were good with that, huh? You never regretted any of those decisions? No. And, and those who, you know, are, are, are good parents and have that in them yeah. and had good role models like yourselves who, who, who will adopt or have kids and give them the proper background, the proper raising, the proper environment, I envy. And, and that's, that's, that's so um, uh, terrific that you can do that and, and so many others can. Um, but given the, the environment that I grew up in without a proper role model or family, I thought, can I actually justify rolling the dice on somebody else's life? Yeah. yeah and well, the answer was no. Yeah. You know, and then I think we'll need to make that, that decision consciously. Well, that's a big decision. And, and, and it's like bravo to you though, for being able to see that in yourself and say, you know what? No, this is, this won't be good for me. So 
and what in turn won't be good for them. <laughs> so that's always good. And uh, I, and and kids, uh, I, I've never really understood each other. I'm great with the kid after they hit the age of reason, about eighteen or nineteen. Oh, really? Um, but but uh, recently I was at I was at a shopping mall. Um, and I was just taking a break, sitting on those little, you know, round benches they have with the potted plants. And these other two women, mothers came up each with, you know, two kids in a stroller. So four kids total. Yeah. And they parked nearby across maybe 10, 15 feet away. And they were having a conversation talking and the babies were just doing baby stuff, whatever that is, and just making noises at each other and doing, you know, calculations and equations. And suddenly they all stopped at one. And they turned and they looked at me. And it was like a moment out of the exorcist. <laughs> and they all one began screaming at one once. They're 20 feet away. But what the hell had happened? You know, <laughs> but that moment of one of us is an alien, but we're not sure who it is. <laughs> oh, that's funny. When did the writing bug hit you? I, I started early on. I, I knew I wanted to tell stories. I was drawn towards storytelling from the first day I could read. Yeah. And I kind of came to that conclusion. I was still like in, in, in my junior high school. Um, I knew that I wanted to – what happened was I was reading a book. Um, I was in Catholic school, raised in Catholic school in part. And they had this tab book program where for 25 cents you could order various books. And I was reading this one book about a kid uh, who was also not in the best of circumstances. He had like a dime. He went into – a store to buy an ice cream, and as he come, comes out, uh, he gets nicely uh, nudged by somebody. He, the ice cream falls on the, on the hot sidewalk, and he loses it, begins melting, and, and he starts. He's very upset. And reading this at, at age, you know, fourteen or so, I started to cry. Like, what the hell? This, this did this. What are you crying for? This didn't actually happen. This is just something somebody made up. And I went back and I read it again, and I started crying because I could understand what that felt like. And I realized suddenly that it was possible to make stuff up that never happened, but that felt like it did. That it was that was true in the moment and true in the telling. And when I had that revelation, oh my God, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do is make up stuff that feels true. Yeah. And so I began the process of just learning everything I could about writing. I didn't want to start yet. I wasn't ready through two years of typing. Oh, interesting. Um, and I, I just kept preparing and preparing, but I didn't start yet. You wanted to build your foundation. Was, yeah, and, and learn what it was all about and yeah. read about writing and read as much as I could. And I was remember I was, it was oh, wow. summer vacation my between my, my junior and senior years in high school, and I was reading a story by H.P. Lovecraft. And the problem that I had at that point was figuring out the difference between voice and style. I couldn't yeah. see what the, what the, the, the distinction was. Because they're both the same writer, they're both a writer talking, right? So what's what's the difference? And Lovecraft, as I'm sure you guys know as well, is so over the top. Oh yeah, so rotomaton, so overdone that suddenly I perceived the distinction that the style was what you could choose to write, and you could choose to write in a gothic style or a noir style, or you know the, the style favored by Lovecraft or, or Arthur Conan Doyle, but the voice was the person behind that that was always consistent. That style was the clothes and voice is the body. Yeah. And when I had that revelation, I could feel a, a, a switch turn in my head and a circuit close. I threw the book down and I began writing a short story on the spot. And I wrote one really very, very short, like about four or five hours, mm-hmm. stopped, caught my breath, wrote another one. And over the course of that day and a half, wrote like three or four short stories. It just wouldn't stop. It was like automatic writing. It's pouring out of you. And yeah, and I, I couldn't stop. And then and from that day until this, and those first stories were just obviously just wretched beyond description. Um, <laughs> that day until this, that engine has never turned off. Oh, that's awesome. When you when you look back and you really started writing and you found you got that foundation, all that short stories that are pouring out of you, what's the first story that you like that's the one that, that where I really found my, that's where my craft really came through. I'm not sure what's happened yet. I think that that process is oh, cool. ongoing. Uh, it's a matter of everything you write next should suck a little bit less than the last thing you wrote. <laughs> and the moment you think, oh, I've got this covered, I know exactly what I'm doing, that's when it's over. Oh, you're so affable. I love this. <laughs> I, 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 when I first came to L.A., 
there were about you know maybe a dozen or so writers I knew who um, were kind of considered the, the the big deals of that time in my in my my circle. Yeah, um, and they were you know some wrote animation, some wrote fiction, and within ten years of my meeting them, most of them were out of the business, and within ten years after that, they were all either completely out of the business or are way reduced. And the reason for that was that they defined themselves to death. Yeah. Uh, I, they, they said, this is the kind of writer that I am. This is the kind of story I tell. And that's fine as long as the market wants that. But the, the market and the world changes. If you don't change with it, you've got a problem. Now, to urge them, you know, well, try something else. Work in a different medium, a different genre. Try something new. Um, and they wouldn't. They were afraid. Uh, they were afraid of failure and they, they lived in a box and they died in the box because that's what boxes are for. Yeah. That's unfortunate. So for me, uh, it's always a matter of just always reinventing, always challenging yourself, trying something. I, I just sold a novel to Simon Schuster coming out next year. That's a mainstream novel done in epistolary forum. It's nothing to do with whatever I've done before. Same with change. I wrote that for, for, um, universal Warner brothers. No, no one saw me coming with a, a, a true story about sitting in the, in the thirties about a woman whose child goes missing. Yeah. But that's what, you know, again, you have to, as it, becoming a writer is easy. Staying a writer is hard. You have to keep constantly challenging yourself and never assuming you have it all figured out. Right. You, you're, you're constantly trying to change your form and be able to write different types of stories based on the audience that you're trying to reach. Right. There's that, but also just as, as personal growth. I mean, it's like crop rotation or, you know, in my case, crap rotation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you, need, you need to keep learning and keep growing. Otherwise, you know, you're going to die. Right. Yeah. Hey, you, so you did some cool stuff in the early eighties though. You got into animation and, and I don't know you, I, I think by the way you've been talking, you probably consider a lot of these stories crap nowadays, but these, some of these were a huge part of my childhood. Um, he man, the master of the universe. You wrote on She-Ra, Princess of Power, and then a small one that that I I always bring it up with people, and if they're because I'm 45, so I'm a child of the 80s, right? They don't know this cartoon very often, and that's Jason the Wheeled Warriors. How did you even get into these? I lost the bar bet. It's a good one way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, he man, I was a big fan of the show, oddly enough, and yeah, uh, I've been a reporter for many years, and. Uh, after blowing up my career as a reporter, decided to go into animation. So worked in, in that for a while, and He-Man, and Shira. Jace, I just shake my head at it. Um, I mean, we're talking about giant monster plants yeah. that turn into cars <laughs> I know, it's that so awesome. drive between <laughs> solar systems. I think that, that it, it's, <laughs> it's it wasn't so my outlandish. best work, shall we say. Uh, but then I went on from that to the real Ghostbusters, which was really an opportunity to tell some really fun stories. Those are great. The real Ghostbusters. I saw your name over and over and over again on those. How many episodes did you end up writing? Uh, somewhere probably between 15 and 20 at minimum. I couldn't, I had that check to be sure, but a lot of them certainly. Yeah. Well, the, I, I think you wrote the, the, the boogeyman episodes from the first season. Those are some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Those legit scared me. Those legit, like, I went to bed that night, and I was like, I got to have the hall light on. Because <laughs> that stupid cartoon. And my work here is done. Yes. My work here is done. <laughs> so we got some new stuff coming out. You're working with AWA. I know Jeff is on, and he's um, he's a big fan of yours. So I'm going to let him ask the next few questions, if you don't mind. Oh, well, if he can take it, I can take it. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Fine, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. I just wanted to say, first, I'm a huge fan of yours, and... One, you inspired me to start writing comic books, and I was happy to meet you at Trificon, so I just wanted to throw that out there right now. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, and, and good luck with your own work. Thank you so much. So my first question for, a, for AWA, um, on the website, you're listed as being the creative on the Creative Council. Does this simply mean you're contributing your series, The Resistance, or is your, do you have more responsibilities in the studio than that? Uh, Axel Alonso... He and um, Bill Hamas are um, running this thing. They also ran Marvel for many years. Uh, Describe my position as lead Jedi for the Jedi Council. Um, nice. okay. I'm not quite sure what that entitles or how to file out with the IRA or IRS. But um, so what they really wanted me to do primarily to focus on was to create a new shared universe that our stories could take place in. 
And The Resistance, which is the first book to come out um, from the publisher on March 18th, uh, sets in motion a six-issue series that creates this universe. And what I wanted to do was to democratize the superhero process, uh, not in a political sense, but in, in most comic books, you see the person either has a lot of money to create a Batmobile and Batsuits and, and armor, or is lucky enough to be summoned to have a power ring. And in this world that we created, there is a, speaking of current events, a, a virus that strikes and is ridiculously fatal, uh, spreads all around the world to the point where we think we're going to go extinct and it stops. But those who were infected and survived develop genetically altered abilities. So 400 million people perish, but maybe you know, 15 or so million people have these powers. And it cuts across all lines of status, class, culture, gender, income levels. And I want to explore what what the average person would do if suddenly they were in that position. Would you want you, you wouldn't want to put on a costume and go fight crime. You, you just you, you work as a as a clerk or you want to have a life and you, you want to even deny you even have these powers to build. You want to have a normal life. Others would use them for different purposes. Um, some to get rich, some to maybe help their neighborhood. Some would do it as performance art to bring beauty into the world. And that wasn't you haven't seen many comics with that particular point of view. And how would society react to the idea that there are now 15 million people in every country of the world that have these extraordinary abilities and, and, and cannot really be controlled? Whether you're in a democracy or, or you're in a you know, tyrannical environment, they will respond very differently in some ways and maybe kind of the same in other ways um, to this development. So on the website itself, it also does point say that, that the comic industry is broken do you agree with that? And is that kind of, how does that affect your thought process in creating the resistance? It's a matter of, I'm not sure broken is the right word. I'm not sure if that's what it's actually on the site or not. But um, if you look at the history of comics, um, we, we're looking at different paradigms. So for instance, the DC comics hit their stride in the forties and fifties during and after world war two. And they tend to be very much about authoritarian figures. So, Technically, I mean, Superman's a cop, Batman's a cop, Flash is a cop, scientist, Hawkman, interstellar cop, Green Lantern, interstellar cop. Um, they're all authority figures. When Marvel hit its stride in the 60s, which was a more anti-authoritarian period, you had the anti-heroes. You, had, you know, the Hulk answers to nobody, Thor answers to nobody, Spidey is just a kid who happened to get bit by a spider, the, the X-Men are on the run from the government, and those were produced by their, those paradigms came out of their time period. So what I said to Axel, what I want to explore is what's the paradigm now? What are we so inside the fishbowl that it's hard to discern? And asking questions about, okay, who are millennials? Who are Gen Z's? Who are the folks who are coming up behind us? And what is the world now that we have to address? And those considerations went into the, the creation of what the resistance and that shared environment, what I call the Axelverse after Axel Alonso, uh, what that is. So we wanted to, uh, to really take a whole different view of, of how these things work and ask questions that normally you don't ask uh, about power and responsibility and how it works and what you would do with it. What would you say today then? Are you looking more as um, authoritarian or do you think we're closer to being more anti-authoritarian as you look at our nation right now? Well, I think that in, in that regard, I have a soft spot in my, in my heart for again, millennials and Gen Zs because folks who are in my demographic often don't understand what's happening with that demographic. They don't understand that the, the connection between university degree and job is gone that people are coming out of college saddled with vast sums of debt, that they will not have the same uh, uh, occupational um, opportunities that those who preceded them have, that they are inheriting a world of, of radioactive tinfoil and dust thanks to climate change, and that in, in, in a weird sort of way, I mean, they are the ones who are going to have to save the world 
because I mean, Che Guevara once said that every, every country is three meals short of revolution, which on the one hand means that you start going hungry, you're more apt to revolt. But as long as you have those three meals, you're less likely because you have something to lose. And I think a generation of people who really, in a way, have less to lose than those that preceded them are more inclined to look for a world of fairness and to be willing to do what's necessary to change things. And it's a bottom-up philosophy that is starting to manifest itself in all kinds of cool ways. And we're trying in some ways to get ahead of that and address that paradigm in the storyline. So are you, so the characters that you're aiming toward millennials, are they going to be on the younger side then to better identify with them? Or are this going to be more, uh, let's say, across age uh, groups and brackets? In the books that I'm writing, we're, I'm primarily focusing on, like, for those who survived the, the, the infection, um, most are between, let's say, 19 and early 30s. Because just logically speaking, those would be the ones best able to survive. It's often the, the younger you know, children and the older people who are most affected badly by a virus, as we're seeing now with the coronavirus. It, it largely targets those who are of an older age. Um, what was really unsettling is that in the, in the course of the first issue, we talked about how the virus is spreading. We talk a lot about China. And, and this was written literally like last you know, summer, fall, there's a part where we show a map of where the virus is spreading in China. And it's literally next door to where the virus started in China. Wow. Um, oh, that's crazy. So it's, it's really eerie to see that happening. So again, because so, so many of a certain demographic were wiped out, that means most of your protagonists are going to be within that window. So since this is a shared universe, you have a lot of good talent on. Um, I, I see that Garth Ennis is part of the council as well, yeah. the, the writing council that you guys yeah. set up. How close are you guys working together to shape this universe and make sure you guys are all in sync with one another? We, we've had s several meetings in particular where we sort of talked about not just the shared universe itself, but the things that we care about. Um, a lot of comic universes sort of evolved spontaneously. It's like very different between a, a planned city and a city that just kind of grows or organically and then gets out of control. So we wanted to sit down and talk about the kind of stories we wanted to tell, where we thought the world was going, what matters now, what, what things are important to say at the moment that may not have been as important five years ago. So our, our conversations have been somewhat plot oriented, but for the most part, they've been really about what we want to talk about. When, when, when um, I co-created Sensate for Netflix, me and the Wachowskis, um, we didn't go in there to say, and here are the bad guys, and this is the plot. And this is, it was really, we wanted to do a show that talked about the, the idea that we are better together than we are apart, that the common coin of our shared humanity is more important and outweighs whatever the world would throw at us, and that the person you think is so different from you may not be as strange as you think they are just because they live in Mumbai or Nairobi or, or you know, someplace else. And we're bringing some of that same, same approach to what we're doing here. It's, it's very character-oriented, very thematic in nature, uh, very much emotionally centered, but we keep the action and the dynamics and the uh, drama going on, on a much larger scale as well. So is it very important then that everyone who's in running for this um, shared universe, that the, you guys also share the same political and I imagine philosophical ideas as well? Or is, are, there, are, there, are we going to notice very different distinct voices in the different titles from the different philosophies of all the different guys involved? Oh, we're all very different. I think that if you make it too homogeneous, you lose all the interest. So, um, yeah, we, we are definitely um, from different points of view, which you need. I mean, if, if everything becomes, you know, either left or right or progressive or whatever it happens to be, it, my feeling is if everything is funny, nothing is funny. If everything is sad in a story, nothing is sad. You need to have the, that variation. So you, you will see a, a lot of different approaches to that universe and to, that, and to those stories. I, I do have a, one more question of, um, about a AWA. Obviously, one trap that a lot of shared universes have is that the reader needs to buy all the titles potentially to understand what's happening. Obviously, the dollar for a lot of people is pretty thin. Does the reader have to buy, I guess it's all maybe six titles to understand what's happening 
does or does each individual title work on its own? They all stand alone. I think I'm a big. I've always been a, a bit of an opponent to the the big events that forces you know um, comics buyers to buy ten thousand comics to get one story. So I felt very strongly going into this thing that all of our stories should stand alone. If you read more than one, there's a, there's added value. You can see a much larger tapestry taking place, but you can read the resistance and nothing else, and it still works. Um, in the book, I, I'm also writing to follow that called Moths about those who um, uh, are have latent powers, and if they activate them, they have six months to live. Uh, all you need to know is that there was a plague, and that this person survived and has this choice now. You don't need to read the resistance. Uh, if you do, that's great. You will get more out of it. But but no, there's there is zero requirement that you have to read the rest of them, and I, that's how it should be. I think I cannot agree with that statement more. <laughs> wow, that's I, I like the whole concept of showing people coming from different places, but in the end where we have so much in common that there's a lot more between us that are the same than that are different. We just had a, a guy that makes, uh, he creates picture books specifically for kids named, um, Min Lei. And he just, DC just had him write, uh, what was Green Lantern legacy? Yeah. And, uh, his whole concept with almost everything he does is showing the differences in people and how common everything starts to become with everyone as well. When you, once you start to accept people for who they are, it's actually, he does some amazing stuff. Yeah, you're right. We are, we are more in common than we think. And my feeling about getting powers is kind of like my feeling toward fame and money. Yeah. If you were a nice person before fame and money, you're probably going to be a nicer person after. If you were a jerk before fame and money, you're a bigger jerk after fame and money. And, and powers work the same way, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. We want to explore how those dynamics play out again in different ways. So, in in the first miniseries of Moss that I did, you have a young woman who uh, has these latent powers, doesn't know what they're going to be, but wants to activate them, knowing that she will have six months to live. But what she will do with those six months is use that power to, as a form of performance art to bring beauty into the world. And what was the last time you saw that in the comic book? You know. Yeah, and I, I don't be examining the process and what and what you can get out of it. Yeah, I don't think you. When have you seen that in a comic book? I mean, like really explored, not just you know, oh, they're a pop singer and and you know what I mean. But that's not the same thing of what you're describing. So I don't know. I can't think of any character that's actually like that. It's all about putting on a costume and fighting evil, and you can fight evil by bringing beauty into the world by changing people's lives. And but that being said, it's not a lot of navel gazing going on. It's a very active book. A lot of things happen in it, but her her point of view and her reason for doing it, because again, if you just yourselves, if you if you knew you could activate a power, but you would only have six months to live, what would be worth doing that for? Revenge, money, power. What what would it be worth to you? Yeah. For some people, it'd be making a difference in other ways. Those are the questions we want to ask in this in, the, in these books. That's awesome. I'm loving that. I'm looking at the cover on. Um for the resistance with the, the globe looking like a skull and on fire. Yeah. That's an amazing cover. Who, who, uh, do you know who, who was the artist on that one? That was Rafa. And he's doing all five, all six of the covers. And some of them are just spectacular. Stunning. Just beautiful beyond. Description. Yeah. That cover is amazing. Yeah. When does, when can we expect the first one to drop? Uh, March 18th, March 18th. And, um, so we're just a couple weeks away. And what I love about this is that in the um, third issue, I want to take on the tropes of, um, superheroes yeah so in the issue um it's now been a few months since the plague is over and the government's figure out what they want to do with these people with powers and so one of the things that, that comes up is there's a temp agency that forms for people with powers that will get you gigs for corporations for parties for public events and you show up and we follow a character who comes here on his first day to apply and he's meeting with the, the, the counselor well what are your powers what can you do well i'm I'm really strong and I can't be hurt. Yeah. So I sound generic, generic, uh, <laughs> and then sends him off to wardrobe where you have a person walk him through the process. Well, you, don't, you don't, you don't want like cotton because it's going to pouch and no one wants power with a pooch. Right. And you want to avoid like, like a nice light, nice light lycra. And it goes to the naming walls. One half of the wall is like captain, the amazing, uh, the sinister, the, you know, all the, the first names. And the second half is like, Patriot, Viper, you know, and you can make your own name out of that. 
And the, and the danger room, there is no danger. It's all about posing for the camera. So you see you know, the guys trying to do a perfect three point landing, and the asses are falling asleep. Right. So it's 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 I just it sort of has some fun with the, the the tropes of well, you have a power, you should put on a costume. Right. Maybe not. Maybe not. I, so I gotta I gotta put you on the spot a little bit. We have a ongoing series that we do. We had uh, Frank Gogol come on. He did Dead End Kids. I don't know if you had a chance of checking that out. But it's it's an amazing series that he did. It's like a three part series, and uh, he just I think he just won the independent award uh, just just last like a couple months ago for the Dead End Kids. Anyways, he came on, and we do a like the old school DVD commentary track, and we go page by page and talk about each page and how how he came up with each one. And we did it again with Stefan Frank, who did Silver. And if your game. You know, and, and you'd be more than welcome to say no. You know, it's not something you want to do. But if you game, when Resistant comes out, I would love to sit down and go page by page and kind of go over what we're reading, and hopefully maybe get, help people get excited about what what's out there. Well, I'm I'm pretty gamey, so um, I like that. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I, I'm. I will tend. I will tentatively commit to doing this. Perfect. This travesty of, of of the listeners times but if you think it's worthwhile i'm open to it oh i that oh. You, those are some of our most popular popular ones because people love will grab the comic book and then they'll follow along page by page and listen to the creator actually tell them why that decision was made what they were thinking when this happened all that kind of stuff so it's it's it actually turns out to be a lot of fun yeah people love them they're, they're, they're huge fans okay i i will I will put that on the list. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> so you're you're you've you're diving in. You've done a bunch of Marvel stuff, um, and I have you written for DC as well. I don't want to assume. Uh, yeah, I, after I left Marvel, <clears throat> after doing Spidey for six years and um, Thor and much of others, uh, I did a um, series of graphic novels called Superman Earth One, uh, which ended up in the New York Times bestseller list. And this was them saying. We want you to reinvent Superman for a 21st century audience. That was you. So the fun part for me was that having grown up modeling myself after Superman, I got this sort of rebuild Superman off of what I believe now. That's such a good and, book. And uh, it got the good thing is that folks who wouldn't normally buy a, a Superman comic thought, dove into that one in a serious way and it did very, very well for DC. I also did before Watchmen and a bunch of other stuff too. That's awesome. So is Comic books, what is your favorite medium to write in then? Is it comics or is it novels or is it TV or do you it's not have one? I think it's that, all of it. You, yeah, all of it because it keeps you fresh. It's the difference between having, you know, 10 years of experience versus one year of experience 10 times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I enjoy all of it. I enjoy just telling stories, whatever that format happens to be. Is there something out there that you want to try that, that you haven't had an opportunity to yet? I suck at poetry. I have tried so many times. <laughs> And I just, I, I, I cannot make it work. It's, it's the worst kind of doggerel imaginable. It's just, it, it, it's, it's so bad. It ain't the smell, it's a burning of the eyes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we need a haiku novel by you. Just, no. Just a ton of haikus by, by Straczynski. No. no, no. Do it in limerick no. form. Limericks are better. No. I, don't, I don't hate people that much. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, after today, probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so you were the creator of Babylon 5, which was wildly successful in the 90s. What's it like going to a con and all of a sudden you're just seeing a bunch of cosplayers being your characters? I can't even wrap my head around what people must think when they see that kind of stuff. It's fun. I mean, it means that they got into the characters and they re responded to them and... um it's just it's when you create names like Minbari or Narn or the characters that were in B five and no one else knows those words, right? And suddenly five or ten years later, everyone knows those words. You know, it must be like what the Trek guys felt like when, you know, early on they had to explain what a Klingon was, right? And then over time they, they didn't have to make the explanation anymore. Everyone kind of knew, yeah, and enters the culture. So um, that's a lot of fun. And uh, I did Sensei for Netflix which uh, also has triggered a huge fandom around the world. That was excellent, uh, by so the way. Excellent. Thank you. It's just, it's just, it's all fun. There, there's no downside to this anywhere that I can see. Yeah. Yeah. Except I this interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying my best here, man. <laughs> I can see you're trying. You're very trying. I understand. I, I'm just going to walk away. He's doing his best. He'll get a gold star at the end. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Yay. Gold stars. <laughs> 
Hey, uh, so since eight, did you, were you able to finish the story that you wanted to finish, or is there something left hanging? As much as could be finished was finished. Yeah, um, we had a much larger um, story than that planned, but um, the cost factor of shooting this massive show in in nine different countries. Uh, all on location without any stage work at all um, became prohibitive over time. So um, we, the, the story stands mostly undone, but that those parts that are done, I am very proud of. Oh, that's good. I was hoping that maybe we'd get like a closeout movie or something like that, you know, because it was kind of shocking when they canceled it. And I was like, what? Well, there, there was there was a closeout movie that came out after the second season, um, but um, there was still more that we could have done beyond that. Yeah, it could have been, I don't know, it could have been like, feels like there's about three or four more movies left in there. But that's Definitely. just me. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe, we're, we're, we're almost an hour in already, which is kind of crazy. We're already at 45 minutes. and Feels like three. Right. Feels like three. It always goes pretty fast. Actually, now that I just said that. Three hours? No. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like six. No. Um, actually, there's a, one more thing we want to talk to you about was Midnight Nation. And Jeff yeah. has a bunch of questions, so I'm going to let him take over again. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Thank you again. Um, like I said, Midnight Nation was the series that got me started and um, writing my first graphic novel. So again, um, I appreciate that. Um, I, do, I do have to ask, what inspired the creation of that fantastic series? What it comes down to, where it started, um, I used to go on long walks in San Diego um, when I was a college student and thereafter. And I would walk until dawn sometimes. I wasn't quite sure what I was looking for, but I was, I was, I was in a troubled time. And one evening I walked until dawn. And I don't drive, so I always take buses. Or at least to take buses. And I was, I was sitting on a bus bench by, by Horton Plaza. Um, as the, as the shifts changed, so that all the, the the hookers and the pimps and the drug dealers and the homeless and all those guys sort of faded into the shadows, and out of the cars and buses came the the assistants and the secretaries and the businessmen and the the guys who worked at at the subway and uh, restaurateurs, and suddenly I realized that they were like two different San Diegos that occupied the same space, but not the same time that there was a, a daylight nation and a midnight nation. And I thought, I want to write about that dichotomy, but I didn't know what the story was. It took me over 10 years really to kind of get my brain around what that story was. But, uh, that was, that was a Genesis of it. Well, I think what I like a lot about it is that it focuses on the idea of the marginalized people and how they do seem to, disappear or not be noticed by the society they live within. And was that kind of uh, the analogy you were running with? Yeah, they have a tendency to, to not see those who are in the most need. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was also a reporter back in San Diego, and uh, he went undercover as a homeless person. Um, he, for like, like two weeks, he lived out in the streets. And there were people who he knew and who he recognized he wasn't wearing makeup or anything. He was just like wearing a, 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 a cap and an old torn jacket and stuff. And they would walk right by without even seeing him. They, the people he knew for, for years, and they just they closed it off. And I wanted to do a story about a place where those who are the most lost, the runaway, the thrown away, the discarded, the useless or considered useless, um, fall through to, through a crack in the uh, the sidewalk to an alternate version of our world, where um, there is no hope, but there is a character who comes into this, who can possibly restore hope to these people uh, at, at great personal cost, and wakes them up to the notion of hope. I think that we all have a tendency to fall asleep in our own lives uh, until something happens to wake us up: a diagnosis, a prognosis, a death, a marriage. Something happens, and for the first time, we are awake. Uh, there's your life before it and your life after it, and we all have an it sooner or later. And this character, who was a, a LAPD um, police officer, falls through the cracks and then wakes up into his own life and realizes that there are things that he can do that can actually make things better, but it will be at great personal cost. Now, one 
the fascinating part about the series too is that the danger for, t- for Detective Gray is that over time he could turn into one of I guess they're called the men. And is that also an analogy for what happens to those we forget about? That because kind of like they're turning towards I guess like a, the dark side as it were. Well, that was to put a ticking clock. That he had, basically the story is that he he has to in this environment get his soul back from the person who took it. Um, and, and he has one year to do that, or he will become one of the guy's minions. It's basically the devil, but we don't call it that. Um, and his um, companion, Laurel, uh, who might possibly be of angelic origins, uh, has to go with him on this journey. And it becomes at that point about how much are you willing to endure when the person you are with is losing control? And what does that do to you and to that relationship? Um because often those who do fall through the cracks are in free fall. And they need someone to hold on to them until they stop spinning. And that becomes part of her responsibility. Um, and I, I wanted to, to, again, do a very emotion-based story about good and evil and the threat we possess, we, the threat we have to face in terms of our own self-doubt and how much we are willing to sacrifice for those we love. Now, how meaningful is it that you chose a detective to be your hero or to see the people gets beyond the cracks, as it were, especially when you look at today's society where there's a lot of communities who feel like there's a detachment between the police and the communities that they're living in? Was that something you thought about at the time or that something that just seems to become more timely as the years have gone on? Well, I do address it in the book where, you know, he, he says, you know, of course I care. I'm, you know, I'm a police officer. And someone says, yeah, LAPD is known for that caring thing. Um, and he's busy enforcing the law, but he's kind of lost the reason why. He doesn't understand anymore what it, what it means to him or what it should mean. And that it's not about I, – I saw a great um, interview with a, um, a British police officer who said, here's the difference between um, British and American policing that American police officers are there to enforce the law. We are here to preserve the law. And it's a much more caring perspective on that. And so, yeah, I did want to sort of play with the, the, the trope of a police detective who is not always doing the right thing for the right reasons and have him explore more of what that actually means. Well, like I said, it's an absolutely um, brilliant series. Considering what we just said about rising stars being moved to other media, have you considered or tried to make Midnight Nation into you know, either a TV series or a movie? Because it seems perfect for a, a different medium. I have tried recently a couple of times, and the thing we can, I keep bouncing up against is uh, networks who say, well, can we make this less hopeless? Can we make this um, less of a dark place? And everyone, there are people who are, who are happy to be there. No, they fell through because they, they, they don't have a place on the other side anymore. And they all want to make it you know happy and escapist. I mean, it ends up in a happy place. The story does, does have a powerful and strong positive conclusion. But they want to chop off all the, the corners of the cube and soften it up. And I just said, no. So when someone wants to make that correctly, I'm happy to let them do so. Until then, I will hold on to it. I like that you have the ability to say that. A lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, they want to make my thing. I'm going to let them do whatever they want because I'm just excited to have it out there. No, you can't do that. You, you lose a part of your soul, you know, and that's why in, in most of my deals, I, I maintain the film with TV rights to it because I don't want someone taking it, making so it something that's not. Yeah, that's smart. To make somebody happy. Uh, I'm, I'm more than willing to be a pain in the ass and say, no. I appreciate that you want to option this. I understand you have a great deal of money you want to give me, but by the way, your answer is no. Yeah. I can't believe you can be a pain in the ass. <laughs> That's impossible for me to believe this. Who could possibly believe that? Such a sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> who turks it? Who takes a forty-five minute interview and turns it into three hours? Almost Straczynski six. does. <laughs> Mea culpa. <laughs> well, Your Highness, I think we've come to the end of this interview today. I want to very much time. appreciate that you came on and um, and. More to that, I actually do appreciate very much that you came on, not just I want to. And I hope that, all kidding aside, that you had a good time, that you would wanting to come back on again at some point in the near future. Um, because, I one, I, I love the work that you're doing. Uh, everything that I've watched that you have done, I've always enjoyed. 
big part of my childhood, especially with all the stuff that you did with He-Man and She-Ra and Jason the Wheeled Warriors, which I cannot <laughs> believe that was you. And then, of course, the real Ghostbusters. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push everybody to get out there and check out uh, Becoming Superman. Uh, I think this is a book that's gonna speak to a lot of people. I'm excited to actually read it. I'm gonna download it on my Kindle as soon as we get off. That's no joke. And then the Resistance is coming, and you have all these books for a shared universe on AWA. Mr. Szynski, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me here. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you. You know what? I want to ask you a question because I just forgot this. I just re- I just came into my mind. Is there something out there that you have written or has been put on TV that maybe not a lot of people know about that you think people more people should know about this? If more people don't know about it, they probably shouldn't. <laughs> probably isn't there. That is the most honest answer I think I've ever received. Oh, man. <laughs> So, dude, I cannot wait for him to come on and do that commentary track. Oh, I'm excited for that. I hope he's, I hope we're able to, when you're at his level, you're a busy man. Yeah. Yeah. So if we can get it scheduled out and he has the time to do it, because those take time. They do. They do. They take a long time you know? to do. Yeah. So if we can get it scheduled out, it's going to happen. Um, we are talking with AWA. We're in negotiations, as they say. <laughs> to have him come back and do the commentary yep. track because it will be amazing, I guarantee you. Because I know, because if you haven't read Rising Stars, fantastic series. Got yeah. option for a TV show. Hopefully it happens. Right, right. That'd be great. And also, uh, we have uh, been, you can expect, I'm not going to say too much here, but you can expect to see some wonderful, not, I don't know if they'll be wonderful or great. I don't want to talk about my own writing, but we're going to have some reviews for some AWA books coming to the website shortly. There you guys go. All right, guys. I think that's a show, Johnny. Yeah, that's a show, man. Hey, you know what? What's that? I'm going to say this again because it bears Ooh. repeating. If this is the it first time listening to us, and I just totally over-talked Johnny, and I apologize, but it is, if this is the first time you listen to us, and, and maybe you got here because you saw our tweets about J. Michael Trzynski, and maybe you're a fan of Babylon 5 or... Maybe you're a fan of Rising Stars or the real Ghostbusters or, or Sense Eight or all the stuff that he's written. Yeah, or Sense Eight on Netflix. Thank you. And you found this podcast and you listened to his interview and you liked what you hear, heard. Please, one, why don't you go to iTunes and tell everybody how much you love this this episode and and, and about us and share oh, yeah, it out. Do that. Two. Check out scpod.net. It's an amazing website. We have a lot of people working on it, and they're working on it from from passion, not because they're making a paycheck, but because they want to be there and they want to be a part of stuff. And they're putting out reviews, they're putting out press releases, they're writing original articles on things you might not even have heard of before, um, from the files of Sarah Kay to the Jay Roach's corner. To, to, Jay, to Roach's corner talking about the lunch he had or, or his workout routine or yeah I mean there's so much more, cool stuff yeah there's so much cool stuff and I implore you to go and check it out and then go and check out there's shooting the Sith up on there that has a lot of Star Wars stuff and they that that series comes and goes right it comes in when new Star Wars movies are out or TV shows and then as those die down it dies down and then it comes then it ramps all the way back up when yep. new st- shows and movies comes out I'm trying to get Robert the, the host to do more uh, all the time because I, I think Star Wars bears that you know there's always so a lot too. of stuff uh, but you'll be shocked when things are coming you'll see a ton of articles you'll see a ton of shows coming out all about Star Wars so if you're a fan of Star Wars check it out yeah subscribe to that show for sure if you like other geeky podcasts in the vein of this you should check out Bridging the Geekdom another show check that's out. on yeah check it out on this website check out nerd talkalypse as well nerd talkalypse i'm sorry it's nerd talkalypse it's not british both the of them well, they're, they're both there and they're both geeky shows you're, you're not you're not wrong oh good okay sorry yeah if you like <laughs> kind of like a reality show this is how i always think of it 
<laughs> and you want to learn more about Johnny because I talk over him all the time. <laughs> I just yeah. like him hanging out, and, and he's. I want him to be my Andy Richter to my Conan, right? I mean, it's never going to be it's that pretty way. accurate there. <laughs> but it's kind of funny. It's kind of accurate, but it's it's. That's not what it is. We are equal, but at the same yeah. time, he has a show with my niece, who he's married to, who I absolutely adore and love, and they've had haphazard adventures. Since when was your first episode? It used to be called a uh, show, but really, when was the first episode? The first, the very first episode was back in 2009, and we've been going since then. And a uh, decade, we took a break, folks. Yeah, we, we took a break for a while, but we've been going strong the last couple of years. With there you go. Episodes, and fun if, with you, if you missed out on things, don't worry, because Johnny likes to do re-ups where he goes back <laughs> in and he cuts in commentary <laughs> of things he's going through and things that was happening during that time. So it's it's actually a lot of fun. And they're a lot of fun. the last episode they did was Kaylee being drunk and making fun of Johnny and then calls me on the phone and Johnny can't get a word in edgewise because me and her together, it's a bad day for Johnny. Yeah, the show's called Let's All Make Fun of John and that's pretty much what they do. Yeah. So go check that stuff out. It's a lot of fun. It really, really is. And if yeah. you love the interviews like you just heard with J. Michael Trzinski, we have a ton. We have a ton. We have a we have oh, so one, many. another interview called named Casey T. Allen who goes through and he talks to everybody. We have anybody and everybody. Yeah. We have Jeff the Get Haas. <laughs> he's our he, he's our publicist. And he goes out, yep. he's our public relations manager, and he goes out and he gets these interviews for us. And it's incredible. Je- hey, Jeff, you think you can get Jerry Conway? I don't know, but I'll try. Guess what happens a week later? We're talking Jerry to Conway. Jerry Conway, one of the yeah. greatest American comic book writers that's ever f- lived. Right, and we have so many new ones coming out that are going to be exciting for you. We've got, I mean, we got Johnny Christmas coming. We got Gene Yang. We got James Rowland, Brendan Wagner, another Andrew Sumner. We got Tim Seeley. We got so many that I can't even remember all the people we've talked to that we have in the bag waiting to be released and come out for you. It just, it's exciting things coming up. It's exciting. So please go check the stuff out. Let us know what you think. And if you have a chance, give us a share. I think that's yeah. a show. That's a show. And... We always end every show the same way. And that's because we believe that reading is important. And no matter, just read something, be it comic books, graphic novels, fiction, nonfiction, history, whatever floats your boat to get not only yourself into reading, but your kids into reading. That's why we always say, open the mind. And read more. A fucking way you do an outro. Hello. Howdy. Hey. I can barely hear you. Hold on. It's usually better that way. <laughs> right? Maybe, um, is there a volume on yours or something for your microphone? Yeah, how's that? Is any better? No, it sounds like you're really far away. What is going on? Yeah, let me, let me get into the um, settings here. Hang on a second. I think I know the problem. Hang on one second. Yeah, you're like super far away. Yeah, I got to change the um, microphone. Hang on oh, okay. Okay. How about that? Is it any better? No, you're way far away. This is weird. Still? Even so now? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds... Hold on. Let me let me try... Maybe it's me. Maybe. How about now? Yep, that's better. Okay. That's a lot better. Oh, that, yeah, that's a lot okay. better. There you go. Technology is our friend. Right? <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Somebody's got some background noise. Maybe it's you, John. It's not me because I'm muted when I'm not talking. Oh, that's weird. It's been on since Jeff connected. It's fine. We can okay. do that. Okay. So do you go by Joe or Michael? And I want to make sure I say your last name right. Is it Straczynski? Uh, yeah, it is Straczynski. And nice. usually um, I go by your highness. Perfect. So, Your Highness Krasinski? 
if there we go. If not that, then then uh, Joe is fine. <laughs> My good sir. <laughs> <laughs> My good fellow. My good fellow. <laughs> My good fellow. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So uh, just give me an up how we do things. Um, we're pr- very much a geeky podcast. Um, if you, uh, we kind of go by your lead when it comes to like cussing, because we're a couple of sailors a lot of times when we do our own thing. Um, so if you don't, then we probably won't either because we like to keep it, um, you know, on the same foot field. Well, I, I, I should take a fucking stand. Perfect. Fucking A. So the other thing Fuck is, yeah. is uh, if you say something that you're not supposed to say, like you let something loose that maybe you're working on that you don't want out there, just tell us it's gone. We're not here to scoop anybody in any way. Or if you say something that you feel might be looked upon badly, like racist or, you know what I mean, political. What have you heard about this? <laughs> Hell? Just in case. <laughs> I, just, I give this bill to everybody that comes on. I just want people to be comfortable. You know what I mean? So How many if, racists do you have on this show? Uh, well, you know, just a couple. No. <laughs> All right. Good, no, good but, to know. But good seriously. Know. I'm like glad if, you have standards. <laughs> they're low, man. We wouldn't get anybody off. We didn't keep them low. No, if you, but if you do see something you want it edited, I'm just letting you know. We'll edit out whatever you want to edit okay. out. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and then I'll do a quick introduction and then we'll just go into it is I usually like, like get into something you might want to push first, um, like becoming Superman or if you got something newer that I'm not aware of, and then we'll just go into a lot of your career and what you've been doing and maybe hopefully some future stuff that's coming out and then, and we'll keep it loose. So if we go off topic, that's more than okay. We do that a lot. So um, we literally have a series of episodes called The Tangent of Tangents because we go off on tangents all the time. And then, So are, are you guys aware of the AWA stuff that's coming out? No. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have like 10 questions about it if you don't mind. <laughs> okay, good. All Perfect. Right. Perfect. So just so you know, I have – my name is Kenrick. Um, I'll usually lead the um, – I'll push the conversation forward. We have Jeff on who is our – Hello. Our publicist and, and also he he uh, he's a super fan of yours, so he's going to be asking specifically AWA. And then our other host is uh, John Horsley, uh, who Hello. started the podcast with me. So I mean, I'm here for fun. Yeah, <laughs> great. Cool. So, okay, so we'll just get into it, and then we're we're good to go. Take a drink real quick, and then I'll start. <laughs> 